You are now listening to the Unstucked Podcast, where we teach you actionable steps to get unstuck in your life, career, finances, and business. Here's your host, Khalil Dumas. What's going on, Unstucked fam? If you're loving the podcast, be sure to visit unstuck.com for more resources, ways to work one-on-one with me and my company, Unstucked, as well as our free Unstucked guide to help you get unstuck in your career, life, finances, and business. I'm so happy you're here for the ride, and now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unstuck podcast. I'm your host, Khalil Dumas. Today, I'm joined by a very awesome guest. I'm actually really, really excited for this, uh, Joe Catrone. Joe teaches small businesses about how to be strategic in the world of business and marketing as head of knowledge at the Sasha Group and Vanner X Media. Hey, Joe. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. Thank you so much for coming on. So I want to dive straight in. What's your story? How did you become the SVP of the Sasha Group? You're the head of knowledge. Can you tell us how you got there? Yeah. I got involved in the world of social media dating back to before Barack Obama was running for president. So I was a newly minted workforce participant. I just got out of grad school and I was working at a small agency called Venables Bellin Partners, their creative advertising agency. But my main job was working at the headquarters of Audi of America. So I became friendly with the CMO, Scott Keogh. One day he brought me into his office I was only on the job for about three months at the time. This was in spring of 2008, summer of 2008. And as you know, Barack hadn't become president yet. He was running for office. You know, a lot of people in the business community assumed like he was on his way to becoming president. Scott had an intuition about that as well. So he put a New York Times article down on his desk and said, Joe, this guy's going to become leader of the free world using Facebook. I wonder if we can use Facebook to sell cars. (laughs) And I said, hmm, interesting proposition. I knew a lot about social media because I was in college previously, so I had been using it for personal use and stuff like that. But I'd never really considered a career in social media because there was no such thing. So I spent about nine months developing a go-to-market strategy for Audi, but it was all after hours on weekends, working until like one in the morning and stuff like that, doing research and then building a plan. Took it to Scott, took it to the board of directors uh, of Audi AG when they were in town at the New York Auto Show in 2009, and they liked what they saw, so they funded the program, and that gave us the impetus to hire an internal team, hire an agency, and eventually I went on to work at the agency running the Audi of America brand uh, for a number of years from New York. That was a really big feat to happen so early in my career it really set the brand of Audi into a different trajectory in terms of how cool they are in the perspective of the American consumer. I got noticed by Gary Vee back in 2013 when I was working on Jaguar. So I went up the hallway at uh, Group M and I started working on other automotive brands eventually. And I was doing a Super Bowl campaign for Jaguar. I think I just kind of checked a box that was pretty rare in Gary's opinion. You know, he was looking to scale VaynerMedia and build it into the beast that it is today. But back then, there was only a couple hundred people at the agency, and it was scopes were a lot lower. The clientele was just getting started on social media and stuff like that. But Gary was walking the halls of all these companies and was very like in touch with CMOs and stuff like that. So he needed somebody that could work with a CMO or a head of marketing that wasn't afraid to go toe-to-toe with that senior of a person 
but also somebody that strategically understood social media. And obviously the prior six years, that's what I was. I was a social media strategist for brands. So most of the people that you saw that Gary was looking at in the market when he was hiring, if they were senior, they didn't have any social media experience. But if they had social media experience, they weren't senior. Senior enough to talk to big major clients. So I kind of checked that rare box that he was looking for. He brought me over. Um, Originally, I wasn't interested because I was happy doing what I was doing. But he persisted, and I think that made him want to hire me more. It was really just because I was working on a Super Bowl campaign. I didn't want to leave Jaguar in the lurch because that was a great campaign. I loved working on it. But eventually, he put an offer in my inbox the day after the Super Bowl. I came over to work for VaynerMedia. My remit there was to help build portfolios. So like companies that he was working with, like grow them internally, like farm from within. And one of my major achievements while I was there was I took the AB InBev uh, business, which stands for Anheuser-Busch InBev, which is the parent company of Budweiser, Bud Light, Stella Artois, Michelob, all those major brands. And I grew it from one brand and three people all the way up to close to a 100-person team. We were working on 15 brands, digital AOR, social AOR, the whole nine yards for some of the biggest brands in the world in the span of about three years. I managed it for about five or six, but we got it to be big and scalable really quick in addition to the Budweiser portfolio and those types of brands and that space in the beer space, I was also running Johnson & Johnson and a handful of other major international portfolios for Gary. Eventually, I went out to LA. He had a need to have a head of client service on the West Coast. Within about six months, I realized that that wasn't the right fit for me, (laughs) mainly just because I never really saw myself as a client service person. Like I always knew I could do it, and I had job titles that had client service in them and stuff like that. But I really see myself as more of like a strategic operator, somebody that builds things, like an architect or something like that. Pretty shortly after that, I knew it wasn't for me. I talked to Gary on the phone. And at that point, like we were invested. I mean, he sent me and my family from New York to Los Angeles. (laughs) So you know, it had to either be that or it had to be something else. So we discussed what else could I do within the VaynerMedia or VaynerX ecosystem. And I really liked the idea of the Sasha Group because it was being built by a bunch of my friends. In fact, a bunch of people that I recruited to VaynerMedia were starting the Sasha Group. And at that point, I started thinking, you know, most of my career up to this point has been on major Fortune 500 brands. But a lot of those brands, they're declining right now. So I think it would be really fun to work on brands that are getting ready to go through like massive growth periods and and help them through those growth cycles. So I, I came onto the Sasha Group and built out the West Coast office for it. And about six months into that role, James Orsini, the president of the company, asked me if I wanted to take on the education division. And I didn't even think about it. I didn't think twice. I said yes immediately, even though it was literally double the work because I had to take two jobs at that point. But the reason I did it was because it was part of the foundational reason I went to grad school in the first place. I always envisioned myself, you know, later on in my life, maybe winding down my career, but not having to completely retire by becoming a university professor. (laughs) I've always been a long-term planner and I've always wondered, you know, how am I going to build a career, but also like, you know, leave a legacy and do something in this world in which people can point to. And so everywhere I've been, no matter what my job title is, I've always been a very people-centric manager. And I think that's one of the reasons people like working with me or for me. I'm very focused on retention. I'm not always about building from outside of a company. I'm about taking what we have to work with and making it better and not necessarily taking it all on my shoulders. I'm not a micromanager. I delegate 
very vigorously. And I think people have always appreciated that because they realize that when they work with me, they get more opportunities. And I'm going to give them their space, but I'm also going to make sure they're learning. And so that just kind of parlayed pretty nicely, took over education, which in our world, that just means I run a handful of programs. So I run something called the 4Ds, which is event-based platform that features Gary V. So I'm the host of it. He's the star talent. But we also bring in several other key executives from the Sasha Group or VaynerX, and we build a full day around it where we're teaching small businesses, mid-sized companies about how to be modern with their marketing. I also run an online platform called Stork, which is membership-based subscription program. It costs $300 a year. And within that, we've got a content hub and a community hub kind of built into one. And we drop new content every week. So we're essentially doing five to 10 minute long videos on how to do whatever, whatever runs the spectrum of marketing business, how to make a TikTok, how to you know get on Discord, Realistically, whatever's working in marketing today, we're creating deep knowledge videos where we go beyond just scratching the surface, right? And what we've learned about that is, you know, people want a little bit more of a curated experience than just what a Google search can provide. And most people in 2022, they don't want to read the full article, right? They want to get to the information. They want to trust who's providing it to them that they know what they're talking about. And they want to basically sit back and be entertained for five minutes, right? They don't want it to be too much longer than that, but they want to be able to access a wide range of topics and they want to learn in a video-based, a video-forward fashion. Uh, So that's what the Stork platform does. And it's at a low price. It's the lowest price thing you can do to get involved with the VaynerX community, right? And then I also do a handful of corporate education events throughout the course of the year where I program bespoke modules. In some cases, we'll come to your campus. And in a lot of cases, we do virtual things. But it's really based on if it's something that a client wants to drive the agenda on, uh, and they just need me to kind of help build out the curriculum and the programming, I can do that on a custom basis as well. But I'd say for the most part, most of my stuff in the knowledge category revolves around building out products that we own and we sell to people. I'm also starting to get involved more in helping all of our accounts from a marketing perspective really lean in on how to be strategic with their organic creative. We're seeing for the first time in about eight years, organic content is a real big deal right now, like TikTok, Instagram Reels, Facebook Reels, YouTube Shorts, all of those types of things. So um, I'm leaning in heavily on that side. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you know, as you were talking about getting started in social, I totally know where you're coming from. My first job was a social media coordinator about 10 years ago for ASRV. They're a direct competitor of Gymshark. And to your point, right, it was a place in an industry where people were kind of like, thought it was a joke. Like when I told my parents that was my first job, you know, my parents are super supportive, but they're like, we have no idea what that means. Uh, but I knew what that meant. And to your point, right, as time matured, as, as technology, as it ever so does, advances so quickly, right, all of a sudden, I kind of found my experience to be like a growth stock. Like all of a sudden, all of this experience, experience compounded super fast 
to a point where I was able to get into a startup. It wasn't doing social media, but the ability to articulate what a market wants and how to get feedback quickly and how to build community are really things that are still, right now, we're still so early in it. And you mentioned the Google search analogy, which I thought was hilarious because, right, short form video is addicting. I've learned that, right? There's an addiction to it because it's quick and also it's animated, it's moving. I have ADHD and it's something that I know a lot of people suffer with. And uh, also it's a superpower at the same time, the ability to understand, synthesize and apply information quickly. So I couldn't have put it better myself. You, you must get uh, all those TikTok videos where the sound bounces through your brain, you know, where <laughs> it goes from one headphone to the other and does that cool trick. I love those videos. I think I might have it. I've never been diagnosed with ADHD, but I have a, a strong sense that I might have that as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like to your point, that's why I jumped on TikTok because my ability to share information in short form, receive information in short form. I use TikTok now. I don't really go to Google anymore. When I have a question and I want to learn more about something, I go to TikTok as that search engine. And then lastly, you mentioned something that was super interesting. Obviously, Stork is providing right community and content where we need it, but you mentioned delegation. And that's something that I preach on my platform constantly. The whole platform's about getting unstuck in your career life and business. And so delegation is key to unlocking your creative potential and avoiding burnout. And so that was something that I just wanted to highlight for the audience here, because I think that that's something that's super key. And you started to go into it a little bit. But today, if you could pinpoint it on a couple things or maybe one major thing, what are marketing experts missing right now? So I think I can take this in a couple of different directions. And what I want to do for your audience is I'll let your audience in on a video that my boss, James Orsini, created around this construct called the Eisenhower Matrix. So on one end of the spectrum within the quadrant structure, you've got projects that you know might be in your remit that are highly important and time sensitive. Those are the two axes. You've got time and you've got importance. So if you're in the upper right, it's both of those things. But if you're in the lower left, it's actually none of those things. And you can kind of look at the four boxes and really start to compartmentalize everything that you've got on your plate. From a personal perspective, what do you have on your plate personally and professionally? From a brand perspective, what are all the work streams you've got going on? What are all the things that you've got that you're managing? Communities, pages, accounts. And then you kind of look through the spectrum and you start to identify, you know, especially if it's highly urgent and highly important, those are the things that you need to take on yourself, right? But if it's something that's maybe highly important, but it's not super urgent, that's a great opportunity to delegate to somebody, right? It needs to get done. doesn't need to get done right away. It's a teachable moment. You can put it on somebody's plate and you can kind of help them move the project along to the finish line. If it's not important or urgent, you should be looking to get it off of everyone's plate. Nobody should have to deal with that. You know, so it kind of takes everything that you've got going on in your ecosystem and it just simplifies it and focuses you, you know, to the nth degree, which I can appreciate a lot with, you know, I'm a father, three kids, married guy, busy work life. Any hack I can find to make life life more efficient is usually welcomed in my world. But I'd say outside of that, what are marketers missing the most? Um, Just from like an actual strategic perspective and a professional perspective, I think most marketers are too afraid to try things. I don't think they're curious enough. You know, there used to be a time when I was first getting started where brands used to outline some money for innovation In those early days, innovation was social media, right? In today's day and age, innovation might be NFTs or, you know, Web3 projects or virtual reality stuff. But it's always really important for brands and people that work at brands to be curious because communication is becoming fragmented and it's evolving so fast. 
that if you're not kind of keeping your eye out for how you know trends are changing, how society is impacted by those changes, then you're going to get passed by. I sat back and I watched so many brands get eroded because they were too addicted to television because it's what they knew. You know, and that shouldn't be the case. If TikTok is like the big thing right now, you need to be there in full force. And if like, you know, Web3 is the next big thing, you should probably be spending some of your money figuring out whether or not your brand should be thinking about NFTs or maybe not NFTs. Maybe it's uh, augmented reality. I don't know because I don't know every single brand is different, but brands need to come to grips with that a little bit more. Just stop doing things just because that's what you came up doing. Yeah, it's so true. And I, you know, I've worked in my time with T-Mobile, DoorDash, a lot of companies to come up with their strategy. And a lot of the time in the boardroom, what we talk about is that ability to be agile. Everyone talks about the need to be agile, the need to act quickly. But the moment, right, your intern or, or an analyst comes with this great idea to be forward thinking in the marketing, right? We're looking at, oh, no, we can't get that through legal and compliance or, oh, no, like this is going to take too much of our time. So, you know, to your point, that's so critical. And that's where people go wrong. It's not that they don't have the knowledge. It's not that they don't know. It's the simply because they're afraid to act. And one of the things that I pay attention to a lot is presidential campaigns. You look at it in our last cycle here, where the dollars were being spent and who won, right? The folks who won were not running television ads, right? They were on social. So uh, go ahead. I know you have a point here. Yeah. I mean, the big point, you also have to look at the incentive structure. So one of the reasons why people don't take risks, right, is because they're not financially incentivized to take risks. In fact, they're financially incentivized to be safe, especially when you talk about Fortune 500 companies. A lot of them, they don't take risks because they don't know what the result is going to be. And if you take a risk, you could wind up having your performance dip drastically, and they're not willing to take that risk for the massive reward that could also be waiting on the other end for it because they don't have to be. They can suck marginally less year over year and still make a big bonus at the end of the year. And they're factoring that into their money, right? When when it comes to them paying their bills and like raising their families or whatever, a lot of these marketers, they've got $50,000 bonuses, $100,000 bonuses factored into what their cost of living is. It makes for a tough landscape when you've got upsurge, you know, resurgent brand marketing agency guy coming in or gal (laughs) coming in saying, you're spending your money all wrong. And they're like, who the heck is this guy? You know, like, I'm not going to spend my money the way he wants me to spend it because I've got so much riding on things being at least on par with what we did last year. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a fantastic point. And that's something that I usually do as an exercise is I'll put out a piece of content and test and show them the engagement and show them the why to your point, right? To start to create that environment of curiosity, because eventually that'll create incentive, right? If people see dollars, they won't be able to help themselves move that way. And so that's such an important point to incentivize innovation in your organization. I'm a customer experience executive. I started my career at Nike, and that is we were purely incentivized for innovation. And that was something that I learned very early on in my career, uh, even today as an executive for a healthcare company. You know, that is something that is really hard in the healthcare space because, right, it's super important to get that message out. It's just as important, like on the political spectrum, to get it out because it affects all of us. Uh, but to your point, it's really hard, especially in these HIPAA, GDPR compliant environments, to be innovative. And so I find a lot of my focus to be on the retail space in my own business because that's where I see the 
the biggest opportunity. And also a piece of this too is everyone has their jobs already, like you mentioned, right? And not everyone has that stone cold work ethic like you and I have. So I wanted to take a pivot a little bit to maybe talk to some of those folks. What's the catalyst to having some of that unwavering work ethic that you experienced today? You mentioned delegation, but do you have any other kind of tips or, or hacks, for lack of a better term, uh, that you want to leave with the audience? Yeah. I mean, I mentioned it briefly before, but I think one of the things that's really benefited me in terms of my growth or ability to grow professionally, personally, spiritually, whatever it may be, is that I've got an extreme long-term planning in mind when I'm doing all these things. I don't think about things in increments of 12 months like most people do. You know, I created the goal for my career when I was 21 years old, and I'm still on that pathway. And it was to become a CMO of a brand one day. And I had always thought, maybe I'll do that by the time I'm 45. Some of the timing kind of adjusts. Like, I don't know exactly when that's going to happen or where it's going to happen or for whom it's going to happen. But you better believe it's still going to happen. In fact, when me and Gary were interviewing, you know, he told me back in 2014, 2013, that when he hires people, he likes them to work for him forever. And I told him, I was like, sorry, you're not going to be able to hire me then because I'm not going to work for you for the rest of my life because this is where I'm going. This is where the Joe Quatron train is headed. I could work for you for 10 years. I could work for you for 15 years. But at some point, I'm getting off this train. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that transparency. And I think the reason why it's important to think in those extremely long-term horizons is because it never allows you to get bogged down or mired down in insignificant things, right? So I've literally made tons of important decisions throughout the course of my life to map myself towards that objective, but I always know whether I'm right or wrong. I always know what decision to make in the interim because essentially I'm getting closer to or I'm coming farther away from that goal with every decision I make. You know, and sure, I've gone off course here and there, but I don't make drastic mistakes when it comes to the end game. You know what I mean? Like I might make a slight pivot here and there within a current job or something like that. And maybe it takes my eye off the ball for six months. But at the end of the day, I know exactly where I'm going. And it goes beyond just that goal too. I also know what I want in retirement. I know what I want out of my life. I know what I want my legacy to be. And most people don't, they just don't think that long-term in today's day and age, especially because they've got so many different influences in their ears. They're not necessarily self-assured or self-confident. They can achieve certain things, but you have to figure out a way to be able to think that far on the horizon. Because I think if you do, you'll put yourself in a position where you're not as stressed out all the time. You're constantly feeling like you're moving towards something. My motto is over and up, right? If I could draw a diagram for somebody, I'm not the kind of person that's going to look like a massive up and down like roller coaster. If I could go over and up and over and up every single day of my life, I'd be happy. Point A down here, point B where I want to go, over and up for 40 years. That's what I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I absolutely love that because that's something that I preach all the time is having a rough plan. You know, I get a lot of feedback constantly every single day on my platform and everyone asks about how do I look long term and how do I you know, feel like I'm not pigeonholing myself? And I always tell people, again, we talked about being agile, right? Having that rough plan so you know where you're going is very key. And also knowing outside of money and career, how you want to feel, how you want to spend your time. All of those things are super important. So, well, well, think about this in the year 2010, when I had to make, I had a, a fork in the road moment, you know, came off a very successful two years of building out Audi of America social media practice. 
I could have gone and done anything I wanted to do. I had a moment where I, I needed to be in New York because my girlfriend was there and I wanted to marry her. So I knew New York was in the cards. But my choices were go work on the brand side for a brand and do social media for them. I could have done that for a number of different brands. But most brands didn't really have much of a practice within their walls and social media. So I knew I wasn't going to learn much there. I could have gone to a big-time creative agency that you know specialized in TV commercials and stuff like that. But the track to get to senior takes quite a bit of time because I don't have any TV experience necessarily. And then I could have gone to a social media agency, which were there weren't that many of them. And the ones that did exist didn't have a lot of senior people at them. So I knew, hey, this is what I want to learn. The people that are there that founded the company can teach me something and I can get senior really fast. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. I Part of it was when I was looking at the horizon, I was like, let's just play out the string a little bit. Let's just say I wanted to be CMO of a brand by the time 2025 rolls around, right? In the years 2010 at the time. So all I had to do is ask myself, what are people going to be spending money on in 2025? Are they going to be spending money on TV commercials? Are they going to be spending money on magazine ads? Are they going to be spending money on social media? (laughs) And to me, I was like, I don't really care that social media doesn't have a lot of money in it right now. The point being is when I'm in my 40s, I will have almost two decades of experience in the thing that's popping at that exact moment. And that's why I decided to go. That's how I made that decision to go to the small social media agency. A, I knew there was people that I could get mentorship from. B, I knew I could work on nothing but social media accounts. C, I knew that I could get senior relatively fast because I didn't have to compete against as many people. And it would give me a chance to just kind of like make a name for myself in a much deeper way and carry out a career that I think would be much more relevant in 2025 than going off and working on a bunch of TV ads. Absolutely. And what I hear that, right, is this ability to delay gratification for your bigger plan. And that's something that I think a lot of, especially Gen Z, struggles with. And I wanted to ask you a question because you mentioned being able to be forward thinking. And I can already be honest. I've been honest with my audience before in that, you know, I have a tough time staying present. That's something that I have to actively bring into my awareness every day by little activities. How do you stay present while also being so forward thinking? Because I am constantly looking at my plan. I'm constantly evaluating things and I forget to smell the flowers sometimes. How do you do that? Uh, I think my faith probably is the biggest driver in staying in the moment as well. I mean, ultimately, I'd be in the clouds all day long if I could. I love thinking about the (laughs) future. (laughs) I don't really love dwelling on the past, so I'm always constantly looking towards the future. I think I'm also the type of person that doesn't get really bent out of shape when bad things happen to me. It's just kind of life. I have a lot of gratitude for being here in the first place, so I don't really want to spend too much time in a negative mindset. You know, I think when you start to appreciate not even just the finer things in life, but just life, you know, like when you realize how long the odds are that you are going to be here on this planet at this time in an era where literally you can do anything and there's not as much oppression as there has been in human history. When you know that the chances are infinite and abundant and you just happen to be on planet Earth at the exact right time, and oh, by the way, Earth has the right conditions to exist with humanity on it, when there's literally oceans of stars and planets out there with no life on them at all, I think when you start to put all that stuff into perspective and realize that there's been hundreds of billions of people on this planet before you, anything that can happen in the small and the intermediate and the near term seems so insignificant. I think that also fuels you to like get more motivated. Like when I think about it, it's like, this is crazy. But if I stay 
focused. And if I have a worthwhile cause, if I have a worthwhile trajectory, and I think that it's going to do something good for people, then I have a chance to do something really special while I'm here. And I think that's also part of like the remaining grounded and remaining in the present part. I don't necessarily want to just bank on my future good deeds that I do because Mm, I could get hit by a car tomorrow and not do any of those deeds. So like, how do I make small overtures to people, whether it's just in my demeanor or whether it's just having that extra conversation with the junior person that needs a pick-me-up, whether or not that's playing armchair therapist for somebody. I did something one time that was like completely out of character for me at the time, but I was going through like a little bit of a spiritual awakening. So I wanted to test out kind of like how things worked. And I went on LinkedIn one day in the middle of the workday and I just said, hey, I know a lot of you out there are crushing it because LinkedIn's like almost like a caricature of like Gary Vee and like crushing it culture or whatever. So I said, I said, I know a lot of you guys are out there crushing it, but if for some reason you're not and you need somebody to talk to, private message me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear you. I'd love to acknowledge you. And I got dozens of DMs that day and for the next few weeks, maybe even close to 100 I wound up having these really long and rich conversations with people all over the world that they just needed to see an example of a successful person on LinkedIn that also struggles, you know, like I struggle too, you know, I struggle the same way you do. I have the same insecurities and the same fears and the same anxieties, but here's how I'm dealing with it. And here's how I'm processing it. If I can be of help to you, if I can give you any advice, let me do it, right? So that's kind of what I mean by like, you know, I don't want to go out and just live a life that I think is good, that I think will be good. I also want to do good now so that I don't have to worry about not being able to cash in those good deeds later on. I want to do good in the moment. Absolutely. In episode four of Manifesting with Brett, we talked about this exact thing of setting the intention and letting it go, but also acting as if you're already there. And that's an exercise I do with my clients today. I do business and life coaching. And one of the first questions I always ask when people are super frustrated or they want to get somewhere, I said, okay, I'm the opportunity right now. Are you ready? And all of them aren't ready. They immediately get the understanding that there are things they need to work on that are preventing them from getting there, right? Whether that's, to your point, being more open-minded, engaging in conversations, gathering information, applying the information. So that was a fantastic point. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the environment and leaders you follow because that's key. And I always tell people the environment you're in is going to breed a lot of how you're going to end up in this world. And so your decision to follow and be uh, led by Gary Vee was an intentional one. So Gary Vee is mentioned on my podcast probably every other episode. So I wanted to ask like, why does Gary Vee stand out from other leaders you've worked for? And why do you think there's this huge attraction to Gary Vee? You know, I think there's a lot of different reasons. I think when I first started working with him, I think he's so relatable to the average person in society, right? He doesn't seem too far out of reach in terms of like the way he dresses or the way he talks. Like, and even though I'm not a big fan of the curse words, I don't really like, and I never give him any crap about it, but And he would never really take any crap about it either. Like he's very specific about the reasons why he does it. It's just so natural to him. That's part of the reasons why I think he broke out was that almost, I mean, I don't know if he'd like me using his name in the same sentence as this other person, but it's almost the same appeal that Trump has to people, right? Like, and I'm not a Trump fan. I actually despise Trump. But if you look at him for what he's worth and like, I could see why there's people out there that would resonate with his message because he has a very, even though he's like, 
super famous and rich and has never really had to struggle for money, he puts himself out there like he's had to struggle for money. He puts himself out there like he comes from a coal mining background or something like that. People just believe him when they hear him talk. And I think that people think the same way about Gary Vee. When he says things, people just buy into it. They believe him because he looks so similar to them. He feels very authentic to their experience. But I think it goes deeper than that as well. I think a couple of things that Gary doesn't really promote too much. Well, I mean, he does, but uh, maybe there's some of the undersung aspects of who he is as a human and why I think people follow him. He's one of the most creative people I've ever been around. He never gives himself enough credit. He always says like creative is the variable, but deep down inside, like Gary is a creative powerhouse, right? And when you're talking to him, he has very fast processing speed when it comes to his brain. He's almost got an identic memory when it comes to people, names, and experiences. So he can recall every little detail of every experience he's ever had with a person. But he processes information really fast as well. And then I think because he's had that experience as a businessman and an operator, he can see the entire field of vision, right? And he can see potential trappings that might get a business bogged down. He can see areas where if you just pivot a little bit like one standard deviation to the left and do this thing over here, your business is going to 10x. And so he can give you really quick advice that is really creative and innovative. And if you follow it, it'll change your life. And there's been hundreds, if not thousands of examples where small businesses, mid-sized companies, large companies, celebrities, influencers are inspired by what Gary does. He tells them to do something very specific. They go out and they do it, and he's right. And so I think part of it is just that proof is in the pudding. Anybody can be a talking head that gets out there and plays the part of innovator, plays the part of luminary figure type person, but very few people actually have the actual results across so many different genres of life that can back it up that he has, you know, I think. So he stands out from the crowd from that because he's not just inspirational. He's actually giving you practical advice. Absolutely. And I absolutely love that answer. That's a fantastic one. You know, what kind of drew me to Gary Vee is the nuances in his answers, which make him become real. Because when you hear a lot of talking heads, they're very polished and they're very perfect in their answers. And I love that like halfway through an answer, Gary Vee can be like, well, that's, that actually isn't right. Actually, I meant to say it this, right? So he has that nuance. And that if I could encapsulate him in kind of one sentence personally, like that's why I love him. Because to your point, that makes him like a real human. And so I wanted to ask you too, so when you stand next to your leaders, I talk to my EVPs, the people I respect a lot, and we love to talk about kind of our subtle differences. From your leading style, from what you've learned from Gary Vee, and just even in your own experience, how are you different as a leader? What things do you do that maybe Gary doesn't do that adds value to the Sasha Group and that adds value to VaynerMedia? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I think we share a lot of commonalities. We're both very like servant leader types. Like we're very people oriented. Like I mentioned the bit about retention earlier. I think VaynerX, VaynerMedia, the Sasha Group, all of our companies, we have a tremendous amount of retention. And it's because we're all very good to our people. We really truly believe in family building when it comes to a professional setting. And we do care and we, and we show people that we care. We go to great exhaustive lengths to show people that we care. But in terms of our differences, I'm probably just a little bit more methodical, right? Like me and Gary both have like long-term planning in mind. We share that like a thousand percent. But when it comes to the daily, the micro, I think like when you're in the day-to-day, 
he operates on much more of like the cheat mode or beast mode in a video game. Like it's just, <laughs> there's one direction, there's one mode, it's always on and it's always moving forward. Whereas I kind of tend to slow down a little bit and be a little bit more cerebral and, you know, maybe I think through things a little bit too much sometimes. <laughs> mm. I'm with you on that one. But hey, that's that's why he's this, well, you know, got hundreds of millions of dollars and I'm just this dude, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, that's fantastic. And I really appreciate that answer. And I always ask it and I ask it of my leaders constantly about myself, about them. So I think it's really important because we miss things in our peripheral. You know, I can see how methodical you are, how caring you are. I mean, I just commented on a TikTok and all of a sudden you're here and I honestly... We'll take the veil off. I'm very excited about that. And it's just because I wanted to talk to someone like yourself who's been next to someone I respect. And I respect the hell out of you too. I've taken a lot of time to kind of read about you and some of the projects you're working on like Stork. And true to brand, as we kind of wrap up here, when you're feeling stuck, right, you're doing so much all the time. You're going, you're starting new concepts, which is where a lot of people get stuck, which is why I kind of launched Unstuck, just to show people that beginning and middle, which is missing today. When you're feeling stuck, how do you get yourself going again? Is there anything that you tend to do to, to get yourself unstuck? I mean, there's a lot of things I do, but I think work from home during the pandemic era has really changed the way that we all work, especially folks that work in like marketing and like white collar type jobs. So I tend to want to code switch a little bit. So A, like I'm very strict with myself about how much time I spend on Zoom, how many meetings I take every single day, what types of meetings they are, and then how much time I give myself for deep thought exercises. So there's various different reasons I do that, but that's just who I am as a person. You know, people talk about introverted, extroverted. Forget about those words for a second and just understand the intention and the meaning behind them. What gives you energy, right? Being in meetings all day doesn't give me energy. It depletes my energy. But what I get a great deal of excitement about is when I get to be strategic and when I get to sit down and put pen to paper on a strategy or build a team or build a process or roll out a process or build curriculum, I get excited about seeing the process come to life. And so when I'm stuck on something, similar to like what you would imagine in like the creative arts, you need almost like a palate cleanser. So for me, the palate cleanser is if I'm on four Zooms back to back, I can't just stop doing that and then go write a strategy inside of a PowerPoint. I need to go out for a walk or I need to get in my car or I need to call somebody. So I, I usually throw my AirPods in and you can see me just like walking around the neighborhood or getting in a car and going to Target or something like that. I need to almost like wash the experience of being in four back-to-back -back Zooms out of my mind to make it refreshed to be able to accept the new work that I'm about to embark upon. Same thing when you're stuck. If I'm knee deep in a strategy and I can't think about how to bring it home, sometimes it's really just changing your atmosphere. Maybe I just need to take my computer and go to a coffee shop. Maybe I need to go out to the dining room table. Maybe I've been standing too long. I have a standing desk. Like, what is it about the stimulus in my environment that's making me stuck? How can I use a change of scenery to get myself unstuck? And that I usually find does the trick pretty well. For some people, that's not going to work because some people can't get comfortable outside. But like right now, if I had to do something right now to kind of code switch and get into another gear, I would probably grab my computer and go out to my table in my back porch. Just go through about 10 emails, just do, almost, almost like when you're at the mall and you're testing out colognes or whatever, you put coffee beans on your fingers so that you can palate cleanse and smell something else. You kind of need to do that with your work as well. It's so important. And the reason I ask that to everyone, because everyone has a slightly different answer and folks that are really feeling stuck that I hear from overcomplicate 
what that means. It's a human condition. You're going to feel stuck. It shouldn't stop you from working on your plan. And you shouldn't feel guilty to your point, right, of having that palate cleanse. So I appreciate and thank you for that answer. And as a last question, I always give people just the floor here to just really share anything in general that you want to share with the audience that maybe you didn't get a chance to elaborate on. Uh, I want to kind of give you the floor to do that. Jeez. I mean, there's so much going on today in society. I would say, you know, one of the things that's kind of like fresh on my mind is what impacts news, media, social media have on our personalities, on the way that we go through our days. So like our optimism versus our pessimism and how we interact with people around us. Not to get political, and I will not take it there because I don't really care whose politics are on the other end of this. Just speaking clearly, I notice something about myself every election cycle, which is I try not to watch cable news or any kind of news that's political if I can help it, but I can't help getting dragged into it every two years or four years because I want to physically know what's going on when I cast my ballot. But what I notice about myself is for two, three weeks after the fact, if I haven't fully detoxed from watching the news, I find myself being very irritable and angry and having short conversations with people that I love and stuff like that. And then I just kind of notice it. I go through a detoxification period where, maybe, you know, I still get my news, but I have to get it in a different way, in a more unbiased way. So I cleanse myself from watching the news or from certain things in my For You page and cleanse my social media palette a little bit. What I notice is when I am not consuming that news around the clock in my periphery as a second screen option, stuff like that, my optimism and my interactions with people become that much more positive. So I think my biggest appeal to most people is realizing that if you have a choice, which all of us do, understand what you interact with, what you have in your ears, what you have your eyeballs trained on every single day, and understand what impact it has on your perspective and your outlook on life and how you treat other people. Because there's an age-old saying that is going to be relevant until the day I die, which is garbage in, garbage out. If you consume garbage, you will put out garbage. Absolutely. That's a fantastic place to stop. Joe, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, The Stork video will be linked below as well as uh, Joe's other links. Joe, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for listening to the Unstucked podcast. Visit us at unstucked.com and follow us on TikTok at Unstucked.